and welcome to the uh, to the first episode of Santander's new podcast series on mental health and well-being. I am your host, James uh, James Roycroft Davis, and I am so excited to bring you some seriously awesome episodes to your ears over the next few months. Um, a bit about me and why I'm doing this. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a founder. Uh, I'm a mental health campaigner. But uh, more importantly, and probably more relevant to um, this podcast, I'm a podcaster. I'm a mental health podcaster who is on a mission to improve people's mental health by getting people talking. I actually host a another popular men's mental health podcast uh, called The Rut, where I delve deep into the minds of men from all walks of life uh, to try and f- answer some of the burning questions around mental health. Like I'm a solutions person and I like answers, right? But I also love podcasts. So when Santander asked me to host this amazing series of podcasts, actually, on a topic I love, um, I couldn't have ever dreamed of, uh, of saying no, really. So anyway, why am I a mental health podcaster? Well, I suffered, and still do actually, uh, from depression uh, and anxiety, and I've got a very lived experience of how on earth you can get yourself into a whopping great big hole in your life. But most importantly, how you get out of that hole. And this is why I'm here. I'm here to shed light on ways in which we can all improve our mental health and well-being. Episode by episode. So I'm going to start every episode with a, uh, with a series of questions, I think. How are you really? How are you mentally? Just take some time to sit with that question right now and check in with how you're feeling. COVID-19 has um, been incredibly long, it's been arduous and it's been a really, really tough journey for everybody actually. Um, Lockdowns have had seriously real impact on everyone's mental health and well-being like th- that is undisputed one of the interesting things that has consistently arisen from the conversations i've had um are th- like the kind of varied experiences that people have had with covid um some people have have really enjoyed the slower pace of life lockdowns, introversion has caused. Others have really, really struggled with like with not seeing friends, family and colleagues. Uh, don't get me wrong, almost everyone has struggled with not seeing friends and family. But I, I suppose what I'm trying to get at here is everybody has had a very unique experience of the last 12 months. And that, I find, is very, very interesting indeed. So... Over the course of the next five months, and the way this um, this podcast series with Santander, with you guys, is going to play out, is that we're going to record and hopefully release, well, obviously release, an episode every single month on um, 
uh, covering a variety of different topics, but also speaking to some absolutely brilliant guests. And that is what I'm I'm super excited to uh, to uh, to get into actually um, as well is um, digging into some of the minds of um, of the people that um, we some of us know and some of us don't know. Um, and um, and get their their opinion and their experience of of mental health and well-being. Um, each episode, I'm hoping, <laughs> don't hold me to this, um, but each episode will be 45 minutes to an hour long. And uh, I really hope whilst you're out on a walk, sitting down with a cup of coffee in the morning, sitting down with a cup of tea, sitting down with your orange juice, your your waffles, whatever it might be. Um, before you start work for the day, um, or if you're out on a walk with your dogs or your kids in the afternoon, or do you know what? You've taken time out um, from watching Netflix and you're sat there thinking, yeah, I'll, I'll listen to the Santander podcast on mental health and well-being. Um, I hope that we can bring a smile to your face, number one, or I suppose make you really think about how you are living and whether well-being is at the top of your agenda. This might be quite controversial now, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think well-being is undervalued in today's society. Uh, Controversial, I know, given the amount of companies and the amount of people that position themselves as well-being experts with like extraordinary products that will change your life. However, when you really dig into the various different like daily factions, um, which broken down are you, stripped back, sometimes like mental health and well-being, I think, is being neglected. And often not on purpose either. Literally, life just gets in the way. My favourite quote of all time um, is by a... South African rugby player called Joost van der Vestezen. Uh, he died a few years ago, actually, from um, from MMD, motor neuron disease. But before he died, he said this. There are two things in life we take for granted. Time and health. There are two things in life that we take for granted. Time and health. Over the course of the next five months, we're going to explore time and health with all uh, all with respects to mental health and well-being. That's really what I want to do. That's what I want to focus with you guys. Let's look at time and health with regards in all respects to mental health and well-being. I believe um, I believe time and health are our two most valuable assets. Like if you if you really think about it, they really are. We, we all are running out of time on this earth, whether we like it or not. Every single morning, you wake up and you are a day older. You don't get any younger. You're a day older. So you might disagree actually with me though that time and health are our two most valuable assets. Uh, that's all right. Um, I want you to hear me out for the next half an hour. 
because one of the biggest antidotes to good health, whether that is mental health or well-being, is really looking after your sleep. Now, sleep is what I re- I want to dive into today. Um, sleep is something which I, d- I don't think this is either, this is again controversial to say, but which so many of us take for granted. Like, it's almost something with, um, we all lack, yet it's one of the single biggest factors in maintaining a healthy lifestyle. Uh, have you ever heard the old saying, I will sleep when I die? Often heard when listening to hardened or seasoned entrepreneurs or the up-and-comer who's, I suppose, desperate to reach the top. I was one of those people. Um, well, like, unfortunately for them, I really, really would not recommend that they actually meant what they said. Because sleep is so fundamental to our health, it's scary. Here's a question for you. How many of you listening suffer m- with mental health problems? Um... I'm one of the. I, I'm one of you. If you if you've stuck your hand up there, like I'm one of you. By the way, um, if any of you are scared to talk about it, here here I go. I, I suffer with depression. Um, I used to suffer really badly actually um, with anxiety, but now it's and now it, it it's kind of leveled out. In well, I suppose not leveled out, but it, it's it morphed itself into into depression. Um, I take antidepressants. I've suffered with depression for a few years now. Um, I think anxiety, well, both depression and anxiety is pretty crippling, right? Um, to be honest, like, depression, anxiety, mental health problems in general are such a struggle for so many. And that's why I'm passionate about doing what I'm doing. Because um, if there are people listening to this who are struggling right now then let's be open with one another. We can do that now. Um, If you're part of my mental health tribe, then welcome. If you're not part of my mental health tribe, but you're really interested in um, what kind of mental health is all all about, it's a big buzzword um, uh, associated... um, with lots of different things now, um, PTSD, eating disorders, whatever it might be, um, you're also welcome in the tribe. Um, Seriously welcome. Do not be ashamed. Um, We're going to talk about mental health. Um, We're going to talk about a whole range of like wellness tips, topics, and we're going to have a really open series, I hope, um, of people being vulnerable with their truth. So I'm excited for this. Um, I wanted to uh, I wanted to be vulnerable with my truth to start this entire series off. So I suppose we can almost have like a a level playing field and we set the we set the tone. I'm not ashamed to admit either that last year I was suicidal uh, because of a variety of different things happening in my in my personal and professional life. But it meant I felt completely alone, even though I had um, I had such a supportive girlfriend, family, um, like the world at my feet, seemingly. Um, but I was I was miserable, like 
deeply, deeply miserable, like really badly. Um, now, obviously, look, there's going to be the huge, most of all, like almost the entire population of listeners to this podcast, you out there, that will never get to being suicidal. They might not, you, you guys might not even suffer with depression or anxiety, or, or, or you might not even know you do. You might just feel low. You might just not quite feel, like, right. Well, I want to take the next five months to talk com- in completely openly about mental health, but also take mental health and well-being seriously. And that starts with sleep. So... Look, I I don't want to spend the next 45 minutes or so, or however long this podcast lasts. It won't be longer than an hour, I hope. I I don't want to spend the next next 45 minutes, like, dropping scary bombs into your ears. So if you're completely averse to, I suppose, some quite frankly staggering home truths and jaw-dropping statistics, very interesting studies as well that I've I've looked into, then best turn this podcast off right now. (laughs) Uh... In lockdown, I suppose there really wasn't that much else to do. So so my partner and I started to get really interested in our sleep for a few reasons. One, we've always had uh, quite varied sleep patterns. And as young adults, um, we've always felt like we've taken sleep a bit for granted. Like going out midweek, uh, turning up to work absolutely shattered the next day and that kind of carries on for the next few days but you turn up to work on a few hours sleep sleeping in on then you kind of designate Saturday and Sunday to catch up right I mean everybody said oh god I'll I'll, I'll catch up on the weekend um, but you sleep in on Saturday or a Sunday morning until 10 30 11 and generally speaking, having quite like little disregard for any sort of sleeping pattern or rhythm whatsoever. Now, look, gr- granted, people listen to this, ev- everyone is going to have completely different situations. Kids, dogs, um, family commitments, commuting, obviously work. It'll have an effect on our sleep, unquestionably, without a doubt. So I'm I'm, I'm not saying that um, everybody should have these regimented sleeping patterns because it has got to fit how your model of the world works. But one thing I've particularly been interested in is how sleep affects my mental health because there is a direct correlation. If if you take a second now to ask yourself the same question, how does sleep affect my mental health in a positive or negative way? Just ask yourself that question for a second. Like, take a moment to think about it. Here's how it affects mine. And I've studied this a fair bit now, probably the last 18 months, um, because, again, what else am I going to do in lockdown? Um, But it's also quite interesting to track and to understand how you sleep. Um, I'm going to start with lack of sleep. Uh, A lack of sleep for me means I really struggle to function uh, in in virtually any capacity. That is what I noticed. And there is obviously a a, a completely um, net negative effect on my mental health 
because I just feel like I can't get things done. I'm a solutions person. I like I I ask questions for I well I suppose for a living actually, and then I want to know answers. Um, but like if I'm tired and grumpy, like it's all a bit of a shambles really. Um, lack of sleep has enormous consequences on my mental health, and as I'm finding out, it is exactly the same for other people too. Now then, it, it kind of goes without saying that enough sleep has a significantly positive impact on my health, on my mental health. Obviously, there's a strong correlation I found between the amount of sleep I get a night and the rate of decline, or I suppose consolidation of my mental health. Start sleeping less. Um, it is fairly obvious a decline happens. So. I, one of the biggest things I did when I noticed this was I started regulating and monitoring my sleep patterns as, as like one of the most important things I do now to get my body and mind in check. It, an increase in good mental health practices, basically. So I, I think I mentioned earlier, um, or I hope I mentioned earlier, that a moment, about a moment during lockdown, which really triggered me into um, digging deeper into my sleep patterns. Basically, I was on Twitter and I came across a book recommendation from a entrepreneur I really admire. Um, his name is Dan Murray Serta. You guys might have heard of him. He is the host of the Secret Leaders business podcast. He is a phenomenal, phenomenal um, podcaster, but also he's a phenomenal entrepreneur. Um, and he quite recently uh, co-founded a very, very, very cool brain care startup called Heights. Um, they've got a load of cool um, people who are uh, who are their users, um, including Stephen Fry. Basically, what it is is and fine. Yeah, I'm going to give him a cheeky plug here now. Um, but uh, so I'll definitely check him out. I'll put a link to heights in the show notes below as well um but he realized that we take uh i suppose we take care of all different parts of our body right we buy we buy cream for uh for our like night night like night care um we moisturize we brush our teeth we we look after almost all parts of our body but when it comes to our brain, there's still this like massive question mark over what, well, like, what do we need. Most people will not be getting the right amount of vitamins, will not be getting the right amount of um, of supplements. They'll not be um, basically keeping like a nutritious brain um, care schedule. And what Dan has and Heights have created is this very interesting. Uh, tablet you take once a day um, and it basically supplements all the things you need for good brain care which basically aids your sleep your concentration go check them out um, www.heights.com um, but back to what I was originally saying I've gone on a slight tangent there Dan recommended I read Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker now if you're listening to this and you've not heard of this book or you've been, it's been on your reading list over the last few months or years, and you've never got around to reading it, put down whatever you are reading 
and read it right now. I took Dan up on his recommendation, um, started reading it just before Christmas, and in fact, I, I started reading the first 50 pages or so, and I immediately bought a copy for my partner, Abby, because I wanted her to read it too. That book changed my life because I was completely oblivious to the truly terrifying effect poor sleep hygiene and like lack of sleep can have on your body, your overall health and mental health. Let's start with caffeine. So caffeine is the most abused psychoactive stimulant in the world, hands down. Um, it is arguably the most used drug in the world. Um, it's the most used stimulant in the world. Uh, caffeine basically tricks your brain into feeling alert and it blocks the sleep signal communicated by the brain or the sleepy signal that is communicated by the brain. That's why you get an immediate like rush when you have a cup of coffee. The most remarkable and actually terrifying thing about caffeine I found out and I am a big coffee drinker, right? I have I used to have 3 or 4 cups of coffee a day. Maybe maybe even more. Sometimes I'd have them in the afternoon as well. Um I'm a real like coffee lover, so um I got a fantastic present for my birthday last year um which was a coffee machine um but one of the whole bean coffee machines so i could make my own coffee i'm trying to be basically like a starbucks barista now um but the most remarkable thing about co a caffeine i think is that i never knew is it has a half-life or basically the length of time it takes for the body to um to remove 50% of the drug's concentration, it has a half-life of five to seven hours. Let that sink in for a second. So after five hours, let's take that as like a conservative estimate here to your, your body has only yet to get rid of 50% of caffeine. Like let's also be clear, caffeine isn't just found in coffee. Co caffeine is found in tea, um, Coke, Diet Coke, Fanta, co like colas, etc., etc. Like in one Diet Coke, did you know you will find half a cup of coffee's worth of caffeine? Like, isn't that truly terrifying? I had no idea. I drink. Well, I used to drink like at least one or two Diet Cokes in the evening with my like meal. Um, but if you have cups of caffeinated tea or worse, coffee throughout the afternoon and into the evening, you're massively disrupting your sleep cycles without even realising it. And your sleep is affected because you've got stimulants coursing through your body when you're trying to sleep. Like after reading this, I had I, I, I had to completely change my coffee and overall caffeine intake. But first, actually, what I did was... I started um, looking and, and kind of noting down, I suppose, tracking the amount of caffeine I have every single day. Like, it's terrifying. Terrifying. Three cups of coffee in the morning, Earl Grey tea in the afternoon, breakfast tea, um, green tea, couple of Diet Cokes. Like, obviously, I drink a lot of water as well, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm a big coffee tea um, tea drinker and... 
They've all got caffeine in it. Like, who knew that caffeine had a half-life of five to seven hours? So that completely changed the game for me. Because, firstly, I now have no more than two cups of coffee in the morning and no coffees past 11am. I now drink non-caffeinated tea in the afternoon and I drink like non-caffeinated Diet Coke if I have one with my evening meal. Changing my caffeine intake cycles has been one of the biggest factors for me in improving my sleep. Uh, hand, Not hands down, because there's something I want to come on to later, but in terms of tracking, assessing my sleep, um, having better sleep hygiene, beginning to look at the amount of of caffeine I'm intaking is massive, like massive. I urge you to do something interesting that might shock you too. Write down your daily general routine of what you're putting into your body. So like in particular, obviously track the amount of tea, coffee, Diet Coke, ice cream, chocolate, dark chocolate. Did you know that caffeine is in ice cream, chocolate and dark chocolate? If you did, well done. I didn't. Um, being That might be stupid, but I had no idea. Even painkillers. Like in painkillers, obviously, in some like Nurofen, paracetamol, you've got caffeine because it's a stimulant. You might be shocked. So if, if, if you are, if you kind of recognize that sleep isn't really working out the way that you'd like it to and it's affecting your day to day, then take a look at your caffeine intake. It's literally one of the easiest and I suppose controllable things you can do to improve your sleep. Just take ownership of what you're putting into your body. Monitor your caffeine intake. Make sure you're not drinking caffeine past a certain point in your day, preferably the morning. And um, and then take responsibility for that. Uh, I, I want to touch upon whether you actually know how important sleep is, is for your brain. I knew it was the main... It was one of the foundations for good health, but digging deeper into how important it is for your brain, I was, I was shocked. As I got deeper and deeper into this, this crazy and I suppose utterly mental world of understanding how important good sleep is for your brain I have to say I almost fell off my chair if I said to you that a group of scientists have developed this new incredibly rare form of treatment that in essence makes you live longer I reckon 99% and I say that 99% because there's always going to... I always have to probably take into account that one that one person who's like, I really don't see the point in living that long because I'm here for a good time, not a long time. <laughs> um, but 99% of you would say, right, I'm interested. I, I would put, put money on that. Then if I said to you that this new treatment enhances and improves your memory... It makes you way more creative. It makes you seemingly stay younger looking, ageless. It makes you more attractive. Also, it keeps you slim. It lowers your food cravings. It protects you from cancer 
and dementia. It wards off cold and flu, uh, like vermin, um, and decreases the risks of having heart attacks and strokes, and also diabetes, whilst also f- makes you feel a whole lot happier, not as depressed, and your anxiety levels decrease. So if I said that all to you, I'm pretty sure you would say, right, sign me up. How many of you would put your hands up for treatment? I reckon an absolutely shed load of you. How much would you pay for that, assuming it's not given on the NHS? Because if it's given on the NHS, everybody's income tax is going up. Imagine, for example, if like Pfizer or AstraZeneca had produced this wonder treatment and the share price of the company would be more bullish than Bitcoin right now. That treatment is actually sleep. The benefits of a full night's sleep are unbelievable. They have done 17,000 very well scrutinised and defended reports to date, which are covered actually in Matthew Walker's Why We Sleep book. Um, So another plug for that book, because it is truly like mesmerising. But they've done 17,000 very well scrutinised and defended reports conducted by the leading scientists in the world. And all of those 17,000 studies have shown that the benefits of a good night's sleep consistently lead to positive consequences that I just mentioned. The best bit is that it's actually free. You don't pay to sleep. Well, actually, that's not strictly true if you're in an airport in, I suppose, the Middle East or in China where they've got sleeping pods and you have to pay for them, yeah, then technically you do pay to to sleep. I suppose you pay to sleep if you take sleeping pills. But don't take sleeping pills because, well, just read the book. Like You'll find out why sleeping pills are the worst thing you can take for your sleep. Again, off on a tangent, why don't we pay more attention to this? If sleep makes us younger, if sleep makes us uh, more creative, it improves our memory, it protects us from cancer, it protects us from dementia, it wards off cold and flu, it decreases the risks of having heart attacks, strokes, diabetes, it makes us happier, like all of these things, why don't we pay more attention to this? That is mind-boggling. Dig deeper into this, take memory aid, right? So when we're awake, our brain is constantly building and absorbing and manufacturing new information. When we sleep, specifically in the stage of our night cycle of REM, and if you don't know what REM is, it's rapid eye movement. I don't know if you've lay next to your partner, your wife, your husband, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, uh, whatever it might be, or even your son or daughter when they've been sleeping uh, and they're in a really deep sleep, they're, they're you can see on the on the surface of their eyelids this shuddering back and forward, up and down movement. That is rapid eye movement, and um, that is where we are basically dreaming. That is the deepest sleep. It is the process in our brains that um, the information that we've gathered over the day, and that information, by the way, is taken really to our short-term memory function, but when we are in rapid eye movement and dreaming, That short-term memory, uh, I suppose, data bank, the hard drive that we collect, all the kind of knowledge and information, most of it irrelevant, actually, that we've collated throughout the day, is transferred or attempted to transfer to our long-term memory function. So basically, a good night's sleep restores the brain's capacity for learning, 
it um, it's also making room for new memories. So in clearing out the short-term memory function and transferring that data over to our long-term memory function, we make more room to process more information the next day. So making room for new memories is obviously critical because it enhances learning. Following a good night's sleep and a day of learning before that night's sleep, you basically regain access to memories that you could not retrieve before you slept. So again, let's look at the example of uh, a computer hard drive, right? Some files might have been corrupt or inaccessible during the day. You might have sat there thinking, God, I really can't remember that. It will come to me, it will come to me. But for whatever reason, sleep offers this recovery service of those files. So like, instead of forgetting them entirely, our brain processes that information slightly differently. And that's only induced through a good night's sleep, like more than seven hours. Seven to eight hours is critical in sleep. Every human being needs that, and we'll come on to that later. But have you ever had that like moment where you've gone, ah, oh, yes, I, I remember that, actually. Well, that moment you may experience after good night's sleep is cemented because of your quality of sleep. Your ability to keep having those moments throughout your day where your memory function is in tip-top condition is only induced, it's only created with a good night's sleep. That is truly remarkable. If you're suffering from like lack of sleep, then your memory will decline. Your ability to draw information out of what seems like the dark corners of your mind basically goes down the toilet. Let's move on to creativity. We all want to be creative, right? Whether we're entrepreneurs, uh, designers, engineers, um, this is a Santander podcast, so I'm sure there'll be data scientists listening to this, managers, HR directors, even the CEO of the bank. If you're listening to this, I'm sure you need to be creative. The list of people who like being creative is obviously virtually endless because at some stage, all 7.4 billion of us on this planet Earth needs to be creative. So even if we don't initially realise we're being creative, creativeness is arguably one of the core elements of progression and I suppose human initiative as well. Like If we want to... If we want to strive to get better, if we want to learn, if we want to work out new ways to do things, we have to be creative. So how does sleep work with creativity? When we sleep, we basically enter a theatre of information process. Often, like, that information, as we touched on earlier, is processed unknowingly throughout the day. We gather thousands of pieces of data into our brains every single day and we don't even know it's there. Have you ever woken up from a dream or you remembered a dream later the next day and thought, oh my word, that was unbelievably weird or that was like really like vivid but there was some like really like just n like not normal aspects or elements to it. Basically when you're asleep and in REM, the brain fuses together all the bits of information that is just useless. So to us, it's like wasted bits of knowledge accumulated throughout the day, but it fuses them together to make what seems like this, when we're dreaming, what seems like this 
I suppose, this weird conscious experience of, for example, seeing your ex-boyfriend or your wife sit down with you on a bench in a park where where snakes are slithering um, over a tree and Ant and Deck are splashing naked in a fountain of gravy. I'm sure we've all had those dreams. I certainly have. Not that I want to uh, particularly see Ant and Neck, Ant and Deck, sorry, Ant and Neck, Ant and Deck naked, but sometimes it happens, you know? Well, all of those weird and wonderful bits of information you've absorbed um, throughout the day and brought together create one seemingly conscious experience which is either a nightmare or a beautiful array of weird experiences all at once. And this is this happens when you're in a dream, a dreaming state of REM, the deepest sleep you can get. Now, like, why is that? Why does that aid creativity? Well, basically, in the process of you going through REM, in the process of your brain fusing together all of these different parts of um, the information and the knowledge you've collected, your brain is fusing them together. It is putting different parts of a puzzle together. And that is what you need for creativity. The kind of synapses in your mind, the... Um, the, neuro- the, the neurological process of having new ideas is only born out of this process which is formulated whilst you're asleep. If you tamper with your REM or like you don't get enough REM or you don't get enough sleep at night or it's too light, your brain cannot process or fuse together the bits of knowledge created through that throughout that day. And basically your... I suppose you're 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 impairing one of the most vital functions of cognitive ascent. That is scary. So do you want to be more creative? Do you want to have moments in your day where you sit back and marvel at what has just come out of your brain, out of your mouth? I've certainly sat there, and I'm by no means genius, but I've certainly sat there whatsoever, actually. Um, but I've certainly sat there after a good night's sleep recently and thought, where on earth did that idea come from? And sat there on my own, because I probably, I might say it to my half, but sat there and thought, I'm a genius. This is going to change the world. Well, get good sleep. It is literally free. Free. Um, how many of us feel sleep deprived? I bet a shed load of you. You've either got kids. They're exhausting, aren't they? Incredibly fulfilling. I don't actually have any of my own yet. My partner and I, with we're not thinking about it, but like we're not really sure. But kids are exhausting (laughs) and or if you've got a new puppy and it's keeping you up all night how many people got pandemic puppies eh and probably thought great this is a wicked idea let's get a puppy and then realized oh my god they are like having a baby or you've developed insomnia because your mental health is poor that's quite common Um, when my mental health is poor like being able to sleep was 
so difficult. It was painful. You're lying there wishing you could just go to sleep, but it never happens. So people with insomnia, because your mental health is poor or whatever the reason you've developed insomnia, you're suffering with depression, you're anxious, it's affecting your sleep. I want you to take this part of this episode quite seriously because it could change the way you view sleep deprivation. I want it to spur you into thinking about your sleep cycles, uh, your sleep patterns, and so on and so forth in a positive way. Like, take action now, listen to this, consider it, and um, it's your choice, but I urge you to really take a, a real deep look into this choice because it is so important. Sleep loss and sleep deprivation has has one of the most detrimental effects, like it has a genuinely an extraordinary harmful impact on our brains. It's, um, it's linked to various different neurological and psychiatric conditions, including Alzheimer's, anxiety, depression, bipolar, suicide, ideation, increased risks of having a stroke, and also chronic pain. So it has the biggest impact on almost every physiological system in our body. Um, If you don't believe me, do your research. But listen to this. Sleep deprivation and sleep loss contributes to an increased risk of cancer, diabetes, heart attacks, infertility, weight gain, obesity, uh, immune deficiencies, and loads more. I I mean, genuinely, bar doing a Donald Trump and... Uh, proposing to inject yourself with disinfectant bleach, depriving your body and um, your brain of sleep for a prolonged period of time um, really does have a completely ruinous and deleterious effect on your physical and mental health. Without question, without a doubt. If you're sleep deprived or you're tired, your concentration levels are um, like uh, are the immediate function that suffers and can have deadly consequences. When you're tired, you haven't been able to sleep. You've been kept up by your kids. You've been kept up by your dog. Whatever the reason might be, you're you're in chronic pain. You've had enough. Whatever it might be, and you you've you've not had a good night's sleep. The next day is painful, painful. How hard is it to concentrate? Well, in the US, every hour, yes, every hour, someone dies in a traffic accident due to a fatigue-related error. There's two big culprits for tired driving accidents. They're either falling asleep completely at the wheel or, and this is way more commonly found in accidents, something called microsleep. Now, microsleep lasts for literally a few seconds when your eyelids shut partially or fully, but like microsleep is usually suffered by people who are getting less than seven hours of sleep a night on the regular. So some people don't even realise they're sleep deprived. And this, this study is from Matthew's book. So listen to this. A group of Californian-based scientists, obviously including Matthew Walker, who is the leading sleep expert in the world, conducted a trial Well, they conducted trials which assessed millions of people's average sleep time and they found millions of people are unwittingly spending years of their life in a suboptimal state of psychological and physiological uh, functioning, 
never really maximizing their mind and body's full potential because they basically think, and I can quote so many people who have said this, I don't really need that much sleep actually. I can do with four or five hours a night. It is scientifically proven to be wrong. You've just been living in a subpar state of mind-body experience uh, and performance that for so long that you've basically just accepted it for what it is rather than actually realised every human being's needs of having between seven and eight hours of sleep every single night. Also, another thing, how many times have you said to yourself, I cannot wait to sleep tonight, tonight being Friday, because you've had a big week, you've had a big week and you've not had that much sleep during the week. So you've said to yourself, yeah, I cannot sleep. I can't wait to sleep tonight. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to catch up on sleep I missed during the week. I have said that so many times. What if I told you that the brain is actually incapable of doing that? Even after three nights, full recovery, full recovery sleep, so full eight hours sleep, or what you thought was sleep recovery, you never regain the original sleep debt. So let's say on a Friday night, you said, I can't wait to sleep tonight because, uh, or on a Saturday, I can't wait to sleep. You will not recover that sleep debt fully. One, like, unbelievably disturbing um, study, which is in Matthew Walker's book, is... Um, Researchers in Australia took two groups of healthy adults, one of whom got drunk up to the legal limit, which is, I think, 0.8 of a unit in Australia. And the other group, they were sleep deprived for an entire night. So they're basically sleep deprived for 19 hours. Both groups performed a concentration test to assess attention performance and specifically looking at the number of lapses they had. After being awake for 19 hours, People who were sleep deprived were as cognitively impaired as those who were legally drunk. So, for example, if you wake up at 6am and you remain awake throughout the day, then you go out for a meal with your friends in the evening, but you drink no alcohol at all because you're driving home, let's say, and then you drive home at 1am, you are as cognitively impaired as someone who is legally a drunk driver. Sleep is one of the most important aspects of our daily lives. It is the driving force behind good physical help, health. I know we've talked about me uh, mental or cognitive, the cognitive aspect of sleep, getting a good night's sleep versus, I suppose, getting a bad night's sleep and the impact that can have on our brains, memory and so on. But guys, like sleep for our physical health is the most important reason why people who sleep well are generally speaking physically healthier people. Another study I'm going to throw at you from Matthew Walker's book, which I hope is going to spur you on to read it, is sleep loss and your heart. If you have poor sleep, you have a poor heart. It's that simple. In, in 2011, Matthew released a study which tracked almost half a million men and women of varied ages, races, um, ethnicities across eight countries. Listen to this. This is staggering. 
those short or poor or who have poor sleep basically it was associated with more than 45% greater risk of a fatal and non-fatal heart attack or disease within within 7 to 25 years when you actually take a moment to think about that that is genuinely amazing in another study in Japan which featured almost 2,500 men over a 14-year period, sleeping fewer than six hours a night increased the risk of having a heart attack by three times. Three times. If you're 45 years or older who sleeps fewer than six hours a night, you are 200% more likely to have a heart attack or a stroke in your lifetime compared with people who sleep seven to eight hours a night. That is unbelievable. The, I think the striking thing actually about this is obviously those people in their, I suppose, kind of midlife, as it were, are the people who are most likely to be parents or in business or in in um, a job or in the, basically in the middle of their career. Yet it's one of the simple reasons behind why heart, the heart suffers so much because of the lack of sleep. Lack of sleep causes our blood pressure to increase so dramatically. And simply put, lack of sleep breathes this inner desire to eat more. Your body is tired. You need sugar or calories effectively to concentrate the sugar in your blood. Sleeping less than seven hours a night dramatically increases the probability of gaining weight. It is mad how much... Your entire, I think, physiological structure and wellness hinges on sleep. Yet so many of us do not take it as seriously as we should. I know it is difficult. I know. And you're probably sat there listening to this or walking or whatever you're doing listening to this. You're probably sat there going, but James, I have three kids. I've got a full time job. I'm working 12 hours a day, what on earth do you want me to do? And I know that's difficult. But w- what I want you to take away from this podcast is the need to take this seriously. So we've explored the physical and mental health aspects of lack of sleep and um, why I think sleep is so important to our mind and how the body works effectively off good sleep. I now really want to touch on things that are stopping us from sleeping, which can make enormously subtle differences to people's lives. One of the biggest things that, that makes such a difference to to my quality of sleep, and actually this goes for everybody out there, is, is the way this thing suppresses melatonin. Melatonin is the sleep hormone released naturally by the brain when our body's sleep cycle is triggered. Um, This thing is blue LED lights on our phones, tablets or laptops. I think it's widely known that blue LED lights that our phones, laptops, tablets, iPads, whatever, even our TVs actually admit, is a type of light which tampers with our eyes. But the fullest extent of how harmful blue LED lights are to our eyes and our sleep, basically ultimately affecting our mental health and well-being, is staggering. Another study here for you. 
studies have shown that reading an iPad before bed suppressed our melatonin release by over 50% at night compared to reading a printed book. If you read a printed book, it saw in a relative uh, capacity a natural rise in your melatonin levels. So again, people in the studies showed that people who read on their phones or iPads before bed took significantly longer to fall asleep than those who read a printed book. So, people, do something about the blue light being emitted on your phone or tablet. It is simple. It is a simple thing you can change to get better sleep. Most people, you can now turn off your blue light features on your phones. Um, I don't actually know about Android. I assume um, that they have the same feature because, because I'm not an Android user and I never have been. But hopefully someone can email in to say that there is a blue light feature and um and yeah we can uh, we can just clarify that but look the point here being please think seriously about this issue because it's these silent and small things which directly affect our sleep quality right now the moment i hope you've all been waiting for which is the section of the podcast which is delves into my best and top tips that I've collated as well um, for healthy sleep, better mental health and wellness, all in connection with sleep. How can you make significant changes to your mental and physical well-being right now, today, this evening, which will over time hopefully make you a happier and healthier person all through thinking through ways to aid your sleep. Take this seriously, okay? Let me know what you think about these. Tip number one, and we kind of covered this earlier, please, please try and avoid caffeine, uh, Cokes, Diet Cokes, etc. like certain teas, chocolate, dark chocolate containing caffeine, eight hours before you predict you're going to sleep. So obviously, if you get into bed at 11, then... By about three o'clock in the afternoon, do not have caffeine. Don't do it. If you're having a cup of coffee in the mid to late afternoon, you might be finding it quite difficult to go to sleep at night. Um, Stop doing it. Have decaffeinated coffee. Even decaffeinated coffee or tea has a small amount of caffeine in it. But something you can all just bear in mind is like... Avoid caffeine in the afternoon. Avoid it. Tip number two is all about your diet cycles. Do you eat late? Like typically, if you're going to bed at 10 or 11 and you're eating at 9 o'clock, bad idea. Try avoid large meals or large drinks, uh, aka in volume, (laughs) before you go to bed. Uh, Digestion causes disruption in your sleep because basically your body is working like in overdrive to try and process the food. Do you find you go to toilet once or twice in the night? Like Unless you've got a really terrible bladder or a medical problem, it's probably because you're drinking way too much before you go to bed. Just cut down. Cut down on the amount you're drinking before you go to bed. You might just find out that you have better sleep. Like These are so easily changed to, that's the mad thing. Um... I think, like even after your mi- like meal time, so you're you're eating you're eating slightly earlier, 
you monitor and reduce the amount of liquid you're consuming before bed. It's the little things that will make such a big difference, I promise. Tip number three is incredibly important as well. Try making your room nice and cold and have very little lights on anywhere. If you have your phone or a tablet in the room, put it outside your bedroom, put it downstairs, leave it, have a alarm clock set, whether it's a watch or a digital alarm clock that you can turn around so that like the LED lights aren't facing your bed. But try and turn your gadgets off or leave them in another room. Gadget room free is the best. A cold room is really important for deep sleep because it cools your body's temperature down and it allows you to go into a much deeper sleep. Look, the temptation, how many of you actually get into bed and before you go on, go into bed, you're on Twitter, you're on Facebook, you're checking emails, you're basically checking in what you've missed earlier that day. It's, it's like the temptation is so much, right? But it may seem harmless, but it's putting a pause on your brain, releasing vital hormones associated with good sleep. So a cold room, keep it nice and dark. Try not to have your phone, iPad or whatever by your bed. It's a big step to remove your be- your phone from your room. I know it's scary. We all do it. I did it and it actually kind of feels weird at first, but it yields such a major, major improvement in my sleep quality um, because like, I'm not checking my phone. I, it's not there. It's not emitting light. It's, it's, it's just it's the, the desire to pick up my phone in the middle of the night when I'm awake and I'm like, God, I can't get to sleep again. So I'll go on my phone. It's too much. Try and remove it. I think the last tip, but the most important tip which has worked for me and if you if you if you read Matthew Walker's book it's his number one tip as well I got it from his book um, and it's changed my life dramatically is create or stick to a sleep schedule this for me has improved my sleep quality without a doubt it is without a doubt the most important thing which has meant I can religiously get seven to eight hours sleep I don't feel tired and my body clock is working. It's working. It's like it's improved my my sleep dramatically. I, I try to go in bed, try to go to bed and wake up like, at the same time every single day. And I don't adjust it on weekends. That is the critical thing here. As tempting as it is, because I don't know, we've had a difficult week at work and we thought, OK, I'm going to sleep in. Um, it will make it even harder and more tiring to wake up on a Monday morning. We need routine. Human beings are creatures of habit. That is what we need as humans. So many people say how they need to get into routine and they'll be fine. Like there's a reason why we feel when we're in a routine, we're in the groove. So why don't we do that for sleep? Let me tell you my sleep schedule. I'm in bed by like 9.45. I know I'm wild. Um, but latest, like 10.15. I read, like have a chat, but turn the lights down, dim the lights. I read for 15, 20 minutes. And then I'm usually, um, I'm usually kind of dropping off to sleep within 15 minutes and unhelpfully hitting my other half on the head with the book that's fallen out of my hands accidentally because I'm asleep. Jeez, the amount of times I've done that. <laughs> but I'm asleep 
latest like 10 15 10 30 tops 10 45 i have an alarm set for 7 30 it's partly because my partner sleeps for england and needs to be up by then but like without fail naturally even with blackout blinds i'm awake latest half past six I don't need an alarm. My body, my body clock, my sleep is now like clockwork. And my body and my mind is is in such a good state right now. Partly aided by antidepressants, yes. But also aided by these little tweaks I've made in my life but with my sleep. That means, that means I'm taking this so much more seriously. I urge you to do the same. I totally understand that people aren't going to be able to implement all of these suggestions. Some of you might. Some of you might. Most of you won't. But pick one, at least, and try it. See how it works. Like, listen to this and, and like really have a think about how your sleep is working for you. If it's working against you, you're like, you're lethargic, you're tired, you feel sluggish all the time, take a look at why. Please, please don't revert back to the kind of old tough guy saying of I don't need much sleep. It's complete rubbish. Utter like nonsense. Genuinely, it's complete rubbish. We, you, I need between seven to eight hours sleep a night. It is critical. So an hour and five minutes in um, of episode one of the santander mental health and wellness series and um we're done i love sleep i cannot get enough of it i've changed things in my life after battling with depression anxiety um, mental health problems for a long time and sleep has been without a doubt one of the single biggest factors in my recovery with my mental health i will never take it for granted again i just won't I want to ask you listeners one thing, actually. Um, I would love to try and experiment with you guys. If you're listening to this right now and you think you need to change parts of your sleep, change parts of your routine, your patterns, then send this podcast an email on mentalwellbeing at santander.co.uk. That's mentalwellbeing at santander.co.uk. I will also put that in the show notes. Um, and outline which parts of this episode resonated with you. Do it. Also, tell us which parts of your routine you're going to initially look to change um, as an experiment, and then at the end of the series, let's check back in and see whether your sleep, your mental health and wellness has improved. This podcast is all about you guys, so the listeners, um, and I really want to get your feedback bring in your suggestions on mental health and wellness topics we are completely open to all of it um ideas for discussion and more um and uh do you know how you're going to do that you're going to email us again on mental well-being at santander.co.uk let's talk also please subscribe to this podcast because i promise you there's some absolutely wicked content episodes and special guests coming on this podcast in the future with a, from a whole like range of different backgrounds it's going to be one hell of a journey so i am so excited to have you on board give it a subscribe and uh yeah let's uh let's do this thank you so much for listening to the first episode of um 
of Santander's mental health and wellness podcast. It's been pretty cool. Take your sleep seriously. See you next time. Thank you.